The idea of this podcast is simple, discipleship. We want to bring the gospel message about how to interact with your coworkers, your culture, your friends, everyone around you in a biblical way, which is, in essence, discipleship. What did Jesus do when he came to this earth? He took the devil's stuff. The Bible actually teaches that the world is becoming increasingly covered with the knowledge of the glory of God. That should change everything in the mind of a Christian. Instead of thinking about all the ways society is failing, we should think about all the ways society must be, as Psalm 1101 tells us, put underneath the feet of Jesus in victory. The Rebel Alliance Podcast. We would be honored if you would join us. Welcome back to another episode of the Rebel Alliance Media. We are back in Garage Mahal recording once again. And as always, you have Pooty and P. Nate. Sorry, I did not call you Vanilla Knox. It won't go off. It won't leave. It's dead. Well, officially? <laughs> uh, well, I, I, I'm, I'm saying it's dead. Um, no. So Pudi and P. Nate uh, back in Garage Mahal, and uh, we are the Rebels of the Rebel Alliance Media. And if you are just getting to know us, uh, we'd love for you to check us out at rebelalliancemedia.com. More importantly than that, we'd love for you to check us out on Facebook. That's uh, facebook.com slash Podcast. And that's where you can like the page, invite your friends to like the page, share the podcasts as they come out weekly, share the videos that come out each weekend. So our podcast drops on Wednesdays and the videos uh, drop on Fridays. And uh, we'd love for you to share them out, get us in, in front of an audience that uh, hasn't heard anything from the Rebels yet. Uh, comment and like the, the posts so that they, uh, expand, that they get the reach expanded. And that's the way that you can join the Rebellion and just help out uh, what we're trying to do around here. And we are proud members of the Berean Media Network. It's a uh, group of podcasts who are committed to pushing each other's content and uh, putting out sound theology. So, um, that's the BMN, that's who the Rebels are, and we're going to start off with a little bit of Rebel news. You got anything for us there, Chris? Yeah, I've got something that I I can't wait to hear your thoughts on, uh, to be honest. So, this is this is kind of big news in southwestern Ontario over the last couple of weeks. Maybe Which is know. to say not big news to everyone else, no. but that's fine. But I think people can relate yeah. to it. Um, there's a company, it's an ice cream par- parlor, who has 20 locations just expanded into the States whose name of the company is Sweet Jesus Ice Cream. Their hashtag is bless your mouth. Seriously? (laughs) Yep, yep. (laughs) (laughs) That part is kind of funny. Oh, man. Sweet Jesus Ice Cream. Clever. I think it would be better if it was Sweet Baby Jesus Ice Cream. I I agree, because, like, you got to throw the baby in there when you're doing a Sweet Baby Jesus. (laughs) Makes me think of that scene from Talladega Nights where they're like, (laughs) my favorite favorite Jesus is the little baby Jesus. (laughs) That's my favorite of the Jesuses. Uh, Yeah, but that's that's basically what's happening. But what happened up here is that somebody has got a hold, and this has kind of become a big news story. Yeah. Uh, Christians are threatening to boycott. Um, uh. And saying this is blasphemic, um, the the company itself says, "Well, the name is not offensive to to Christianities. We embrace yada yada all the religions, all the political politically correct stuff they do, and they're refusing to change their name. So this is what they're going to go on. So I want to hear your thoughts. What an ice cream shop, sweet Jesus, blessing the mouth." 
What'd you eat there? Uh, okay, so here's the thing. To be honest with you, I don't think I would eat there. Um, I think I feel like it is blasphemy. I mean, you are taking the Lord's name in vain. This is this is breaking the law of God. This is not good. Um, so you shouldn't do that. Um, and so I think I would probably just not eat there um, because of that. Um, but the the other thing that bothers me about this story is one of the headlines I saw on CBC. Uh, which is the Canadian uh, Broadcasting, uh, which is pretty big up here, um, is one of the headlines read, Sweet Jesus Ice Cream Shop Face Boycott as Christians Call Its Branding Hate Speech. So here's what I want to caution Christians about, (laughs) is when we start calling things like that hate speech, um, recognize, so I do think it's blasphemy. I don't think it's good. I don't think that they should name their, uh, their shop sweet Jesus ice cream. But when we try to label it, uh, hate speech, we are fighting for laws that ultimately right now are going to do more harm to us than good. And I say that because already in Canada, we have, um, uh, gay, gays, homosexuals, um, lesbians, as well as transgendered individuals protected under our Charter of Rights and Freedoms, meaning that um, speaking against them in, in certain ways could be considered hate speech. So the church is already in a pretty precarious position in terms of um, de- declaring biblical truth could be viewed as hate speech in Canada based on the laws right now. So. I'm not saying Christians should be careful and not declare truth. You, you know, the, if, if you've listened to the rebels at all, you know that that's not, <laughs> that's not our style. That's not what we're saying at all. But what I am saying is that we shouldn't be pushing hate speech to go further than it already does because it already goes too far. So um, I, I think that the way the Christians are fighting this is the wrong way. Don't get up in arms about it. Don't, don't get petitions going saying that this is hate speech. You know what? Don't eat there. And I'm not going to eat there. And, and, and we can say that it's, it's not a good thing and they shouldn't name their, their uh, ice cream shop that. But when we throw the same hissy fits that the culture throws whenever they get offended about something, then we're just modeling to them the behavior that we turn around and criticize when they do it to us. So all I would say is that we need to grow thicker skin, recognize that we live in a fallen world and that we're called to change the culture one individual at a time. And so a petition calling this hate speech isn't the right approach. The right approach is be a faithful Christian, read, your, read the Bible, raise your kids in the fear and admonition of the Lord, love your husband, love your wife, uh, go to church, read the word of God, disciple your neighbors. That's how you defeat this because ultimately this, this uh, chain won't exist in 50 years if Christians just fulfilled the Great Commission. Yeah, I th- I think that's that's spot on. This this I I get it. I I don't like the name either. I think it's it like like you said. It, I think it is blasphemic. I do yeah. I do think it's stupidity for a company to put the Saudi as their company name. How could they have not have foreseen what's happening right now with them? Right. Having said that, I think Christians have a tendency to overreact to certain things and. Yeah. This is one of those examples. Same idea with like, you know, the Harry Potter books and what the Westboro Baptist idea. We have a tendency to go that way for these kind of issues because it's safe. 
It's very easy. You're not going to get a lot of pushback in any church to come out and say, bad name, blasphemic, get rid of it. I'm right. not going to eat there. The places where we need to be overreacting and going the full nine yards, so to speak, the full the full gambit is against things like abortion, against things like, right. you know, <laughs> all, the, all those type, types of things where it's blatant sin. This is this is one of those times where it's just, just don't eat there. You know what I mean? Like, right. have the conversation with your coworkers. Don't pick it. Sweet Jesus ice cream. You know what I mean? Like, all it's going to make, all it really is going to make us is look stupid. And I don't, I, yeah. I don't know how to say that in a nicer way, to be honest with you. The other thing I would say is that um, if we're going to get up in arms about blasphemy, let's start in our churches, <laughs> right? And so like how many of us are taking the Lord's name in vain in our everyday lives and how many of us aren't calling one another on that? Uh, in, in how many ways are we being blasphemous um, because of some of the depictions of Jesus that we're using in Sunday schools and, and some of the things like that? So I, I would just say judgment begins in the house of the Lord. Let's purge um, the taking of the Lord's name in vain out from among our our own churches before we start um, calling pagans to repent for the way that they're being sinful in the same way that we're being sinful in our own churches. Yeah, that's that's unbelievable. You just said that because we had a question. And I didn't even pr- I didn't even let you hear the question before the episode started. Okay. And we haven't had time over the last little bit to do a Q and A. So I'm just trying to get some of these in as we go. Yeah. And the question was. Is it wrong for Christians to depict Jesus in any way? Uh-huh. And what I mean, what they, what they're meaning by that, their examples were pictures, tattoos, right. crosses, crucifix with him on them, things like that. Is that a sin to do to portray Jesus that way? And you kind of tipped your hand a little bit yeah. earlier when you said that. So yeah, yeah. So, um, so here's what I would say. I would say. Yes, it is a sin. I think the Old Testament um, talks about how uh, we 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 should not make um, essentially uh, graven images of of our Lord, and and the idea there was that our God is too holy to capture in a picture, in a carving, in a statue, and uh, and so uh, we we ought not to do that. To be unlike the pagans around us who carve out idols and and uh, and worship pictures, uh, the the. Here's why I say, now I would say I'm, I'm softer on this than some might be. Like there's some people who would say any depiction's always evil. So, um, you know, a movie like The Passion of the Christ, I, I, don't, I don't love that. I, I don't love that you're, you're, again, you're depicting Jesus on the screen. I, I, I think that there's something you got to be really careful about that. But I'm not going to say let's boycott that movie. That is inherently sinful. They're, they're trying to tell the story of Jesus in, in a way um, and, and so I, I, I wouldn't call that inherently sinful. I'm not hard lined on this. Here's another good example. We have a, a book, uh, that we read to our daughter, um, called the Jesus storybook Bible. And it does have pictures of Jesus. And one of the things I actually like about it is not, it's not like a, a you know, blonde hair, blue eyed, white Jesus. Not um, the Aryan I, Jesus. Yeah. I think they, uh, I think they depict him a lot better in it, but, um, the artwork in the book is 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 abstract. It, it's it's not you know realistic, um, and I think it it it's very clearly animated. Um, but that's such a good book, and I think uh, the the age that it's written for, I I don't think that it's inherently sinful to depict Jesus in those pictures. So I I'm softer on this than some, and and here's where I would kind of draw the line is that if if 
number one, if the picture of God is in any way, um, if there's any danger of it being worshipped, then it's wrong. Mm. Second thing is if, and this is where things like the passion uh, are kind of gray areas, if there is danger of a Christian holding that view of Jesus in their mind's eye as they're worshiping Jesus, that's a problem. So if somebody who's seen the passion pictures Jesus like whatever that actor's name is, and that's what they're seeing, then then they are holding the image of a, of, of a man in their mind as they're thinking about and singing to and worshiping Jesus. So that is a problem. So that's why I would look at something like the Jesus Storybook Bible, and I would say that there, that's not necessarily inherently sinful because the animation in it is not realistic and it's, um, it's not something that's going to stay in a kid's mind past the age of like five, right? So I, I think that there's nuances there, and I'm not so hard lined to say it's always sin, but I think for the most part, I would avoid it completely to err on the side of caution because it, 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 there, is a, there is part of it that's blasphemy, and blasphemy is obviously a high treason to a, to a holy God. So I would just say I'd be very, very careful with anything like that. And I would say um, I, I would err on the side of caution. I think that's answers the question for sure for them. I yep. appreciate that. Last thing I want to ask you, and this is uh, something I just need you to be on record for on live, I guess, radio. <laughs> podcast. What do we call this? I don't know. what. Who do you got to win the World Series? Give me your two your finalists and who wins it. Uh, okay. I think, I actually think the Houston Astros are going to repeat. Um, and I think they're going to go into, uh, the world series against the Cubs. They're going to beat the Cubs in the world series. I think so. Yeah. Well, I think I, I don't have either of those teams winning the world series. Really? Okay. Who, who do you have winning or who do you have in the world series? Go for it. I have the Dodgers in the world series. Okay. Great pitching. Yeah. Easy division. Yep. I think they lose in the mm-hmm. World Series to the Cleveland Indians. No. Pitching. No. They got yeah. the greatest pitching. It's not going to hold up. It's too fragile. It's too fragile. I promise you that... I think your um, argument's too fragile. I think <laughs> Salazar and Carrasco will both be injured come playoffs. There's my bold prediction. There you go. That is a pretty bold prediction. No. I here here. Okay, you want a bold prediction? I will say only one... Of Cleveland, of the Cleveland starting pitching staff will pitch over 200 innings. One person. I'll even say. I'll, I'll even say. I think it's Kluber. I see. I don't disagree with that. I just. I think guys like Carrasco, Salazar. I. Th- I think they'll get like the 170, and I don't think that. I think that's all they're going to need. I think they walk their division. So I think they mm. probably shut down in September get into their divisional series, probably scutter for the first like couple games of that, but then turn it on. And I, and I, I'm one of those guys, I think pitching wins out in the playoffs and I don't want to face a team with Carrasco, Kluber, Salazar. Yeah. Weekly. All right. Well, there you go. It's on record. We'll see who's closer. I picked Cleveland (laughs) 50 years, baby. Um, after we come back from break, we have a special guest. We have Grant Van Brimmer from the Awakening Reformation podcast. He's going to come on. We're still on our Truth Apocalypse series. And so we are going to be talking about the lies that have infiltrated the church and infiltrated Christians thinking on the topic of work. So stick around. And after break, uh, we'll be back with Grant Van Brimmer.
The Rebel Alliance podcast is about discipleship, bringing the gospel message about how to interact in a biblical way with your family, friends, coworkers, and your culture. Would you like to be a part of this? Rebel Alliance Media is looking for financial sponsors. A one-time gift, a monthly donation, whatever you like. Contact the Rebels at info at rebelalliancemedia.com. That's info at rebelalliancemedia.com. Are you afraid to open the last book of your Bible? Do you think you need special revelation to understand the book of Revelation? Are you scared you'll get left behind trying to understand all that symbolism? Are you afraid your brain might rupture trying to figure out when the rapture will happen? Relax. We've got good news for you. The book of Revelation is filled with many symbols and much imagery, but you can gain understanding by learning fundamental rules of interpretation and applying them properly to the biblical text. Let Pastor Nate Wright guide you through his Eschatology 101 video series. Check it out at rebelalliancemedia.com eschatology. That's Eschatology 101 with Nate Wright at rebelalliancemedia.com eschatology. So we have Grant on, and what we're talking about today is the theology of work. We're still in our Truth Apocalypse series, and so we're trying to examine some of the lies from the culture that have seeped their way into the thinking of the church and into the thinking of Christians. And work is kind of one of those big things that we do a lot. (laughs) It occupies a lot of our time, and yet it's an area that one of two things tends to happen. Either we don't think theologically about it at all, or we think wrongly about it. And so Grant and the folks over at Awakening Reformation Podcast did an awesome show on the theology of work. And so we decided to have Grant on to help us navigate this topic. So Grant, first of all, let's define our terms. When we say work, when we say a theology of work, what do we mean by work? Well, the first thing that comes to mind for me is just kind of that thing that you do every day or at least most days of the week in order to earn an income, to provide for your family or for yourself, housing, food, transportation, and and the like. It's just that thing, whether your job or I guess if you're in school too, that's your work for the time, but it's just that thing you do all day for most days of the week. I hear this a lot when people are talking about work. People kind of categorize work into a couple different things. So they either think of it as something that they have to do to to live their real life after it or something they do basically to pay for all the things they want to do on the weekends they want to do after work. How do you think of it in that way? Like, what do you think the purpose of work is? Well, in order to rightly understand work, we go back to the beginning of the Bible and first realize that work was instituted before the fall. God had created the heavens and the earth and created the Garden of Eden and put man in it to work it. And that's Genesis 1. And even there gave them the cultural mandate to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it and have dominion. Genesis 2, we basically get the idea that the Garden of Eden is this beautiful place and the rest of the world needs to look like it. And so, right, you're going to have to multiply. You have to make some help, Adam and Eve. And so work we see in Genesis 1 and 2 before the fall. So it can't be something that we look at with disdain or think of it as a necessary evil or anything. 
I know we're going to get into this a little bit later as far as Christians on mission when it comes to their work, but I think that's the starting point is to realize that it's something God created us to do as image bearers, right? God created, God did work, and then he rested from his work, and that's where we need to start, I think. So what I'm hearing you say is that the place to start as we try to think rightly about work is to start at the place where we're doing what God created us to do. He made us as his image bearers. The first thing we see God do is work for six days in creating the world and then resting on the seventh. And so us reflecting that in whatever we do, like you said, whatever we find ourselves putting uh, work to to pay the bills, we're actually doing what God designed us to do in reflecting him because that's what we see him do at the very, very beginning of the story. Exactly. And Genesis chapter one, it says, you know, the verse about being created in the image of God. And then the very next one is to be fruitful and multiply and subdue. Like the command comes right after the verse about being made in his image. So they're, they're very closely tied together. So you touched on a few of these, but let's just kind of make them explicit so that we all kind of know what we're talking about and, and why talking about this is so necessary. You kind of touched on it, but what are some of the ways that Christians have bought into some of the cultural lies about work? So you mentioned that we think it's a necessary evil. We think it's part of the curse. You said it's just kind of what we do to pay the bills. What are some of the lies that we've bought into? There's two idols, too, that we make with the cultural mandate. One of them would be laziness and to not do what God's called us to do in subduing and having dominion over the earth and to be fruitful and multiply. The other idol would be like workaholism, hmm. doing too much. And that goes right to Romans 1, where we serve creation and not the creator. And so right with the cultural mandate, because of our fallen nature, we screw it up in that way. And so, I mean, that plays itself out in hundreds of ways in our culture as far as laziness or seeking comfort, seeking ease. And this is like what Chris was saying about just working for the weekend. We just work, work, work in order to sit down and do nothing for a couple of days. Right. And that's not our calling either. You know, right. and then the other one is working seven days straight, never taking a break, never resting and working for the idol of work. You turn work into an idol. Right. What's interesting about that is I think we're on kind of both ends of the spectrum. There's, there'd be plenty of people who are listening to us right now who they have made laziness the idol. So they work hard so that they can be lazy, right? They, they're, they're working hard for the right to be lazy. Now, we can maybe talk about this later. We've gotten into trouble with this one before where we say, you know, whether that means working hard for, you know, 40 years and then retiring <laughs> mm-hmm. or, uh, you know, working hard for five days and then sitting on our butts for two or, you know, a lot of people who would go to work, work hard for nine hours so that they can come home and sit on their butts. So there is that that laziness as an idol or like you said, being a workaholic and making work the idol. And I think one of the things, and maybe I'll just get you to comment on this as I'm thinking about it, is that that second one, when we're working really hard, sometimes we're looking for our own value in our work. And we forget that that came after God told us that we're image bearers. So the value comes in our, in our being image bearers, not in the work that we actually accomplish. You know, that's when we, when we seek fulfillment, joy, and all that in anything uh, on this earth and anything under heaven, you know, we were created to find our ultimate satisfaction, joy and fulfillment in in God and our union with him. So when we look for it outside of him, you know, we're actually being less than human, really. And that's why workaholics don't stop. And that's why lazy people don't get up. 
there's a ceiling, it just hits and we keep chasing after it. We keep, oh, maybe next time I do X, Y, Z, it will be fulfilling and it keeps going. And that's what Paul talks about, our lust being deceitful. I would just say that's different than a calling then. How is work different than a calling? Everyone is called to work. How God has gifted you in certain talents and aptitudes, that's different and should work itself out in the course of time. But, you know, we, we live in a day and age where almost any kind of vocation is at your fingertips, where back in the day you, you had to follow what dad did. You know, you, you didn't just kind of jump ship and go do whatever trade you wanted to do. So, I mean, that, that changes with time, too. But but again, we'd seek um, ultimately to glorify God in all we say and do. And that should lead us in the right direction. Yeah, I think a lot of people have the wrong impression of what they're supposed to be doing at their time that the job itself is where they'll get their fulfillment. If I'm hearing you right, a lot of people think that that's the lie that I think Mm -hmm. our culture is bought into that you get your joy and your success in your work rather than just you get to glorify God by the way you work and the way you go Mm -hmm. through that. I think that's something we've lost. Can you maybe unpack? Yeah. Yeah, There's a joy there. Um, I think I, I do enjoy having a job and getting a paycheck and, you know, providing for my family. It's just not the joy, you know? So I I think having our priorities balanced is what helps us uh, not veer to any one of those idols. I like what you're saying there. So I just want to tease it out a little bit Mm -hmm. because I think it'll be really uh, uh, helpful for some of our listeners. So you're talking about work itself because God made us to work. So the way in which you work and the ultimate ends or reasons for your working is what brings the joy. Because there's a lot of people who are probably listening to this who feel as though they're in a, a job where maybe they don't feel like they're making a difference. Maybe they don't feel like they're they're being challenged the way they want to. Maybe they feel like it's a little bit of a dead end and yet there's still glory to be had in that and joy to be had in that. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, so... When Paul said, do all you do for the glory of God, that means everything. That means anything you do, you can do it in a way that glorifies him or in a way that does not glorify God. I think it's in Ecclesiastes and talks about whatever your hand finds to do, do it well. And so, you know, when we talk about Christians and how they are to work, I think of that concept of quorum day, you know, living uh, in the face of God, in the presence of God. And in Colossians, Paul talks about working as unto the Lord, not not to men, for he is who we give an account to. You know, the, the other aspect that makes it deeper for Christians is that we have a great commission that we are supposed to be fulfilling. We have a great commission that we are supposed to be obeying, which is to make disciples of all nations. And God intended for us to have dominion and subdue the earth, to to build buildings and to write music and books. And then through the course of time, disciple people. And and that was to the ends of the earth too, not just in our own little holy huddle or just in our church or anything like that. It was supposed to affect the whole world. And the Bible starts in a garden, but ends in a city. There's a progressive development that God intended for humans to to undertake. And if we talk about a post-millennial mindset here, this is where I think eschatology matters a lot with how we view missiology. Back in my dispensational days, Though I understood the, the great the, the dark ages, right? <laughs> Though I understood the great commission was there and for every Christian to obey, the, the mindset was just different. It was kind of a fool's errand, you know. But now understanding that God promised that He has all authority, so therefore go and make disciples. 
that was our basis was that he's in he's king he's in control yeah amen and when he told peter the gates of hell will not prevail against his church that's an offensive statement it's their gates that we're charging and he's saying they they won't prevail and so when we see some setback or or work kind of sucks we know which is actually the curse you know in, in genesis 3 when god curses adam and says okay well now you're going to work and there's going to be pain now you're going to work and it's going to be by the sweat of your brow that you provide for your family and you're going to do everything right but thorns and thistles are going to come up so you you know have the great attitude at work you do everything on time or whatever it is but the boss just happens to like the other guy more or whatever it is this is part of the curse we're fighting against but as christians we still have to look at our work as missional and be wise as serpents to find ways to fulfill the great commission in all of life and do all things to the glory of God. We've kind of lost this idea. We are very quick to proclaim that God is sovereign, but we, we often forget that that means where we work <laughs> isn't an accident. He, we, he, yeah. he has us where he wants us. We're meant to be there and we have a purpose there. And that purpose is to make us more like his son. And that might be because mm-hmm. we don't get a promotion or because yeah. we suffer for the gospel True. in that workplace. Right. Yeah. True. And I think um, one of the things that just came to my mind as you're talking is one of the great, beautiful things about the Christian life is that we have a great high priest who is able to sympathize with us and knows what we've gone through and are going through. And so any of our listeners who might be listening right now thinking, you know, oh, you don't know my work. It's such menial work. It doesn't matter. It doesn't mean anything. If anybody knows what it's like to be stuck in a job that you're overqualified for, it would be Jesus being a carpenter for all those years before his ministry went went uh, public, right? And so here's, you know, the, the creator of the universe who's restricted to carpentry for the better part of his life. And yet there was glory in that. And we got to follow in his example. And you kind of opened up a whole bunch of stuff I want to talk about, Grant. So first mm-hmm. of all, you've said, you've said cultural mandate a few times. So just unpack that for us. I think a lot of our listeners would know what you're saying. But just in case there's anybody who that's a new term for, what's the cultural mandate? So we get the cultural mandate from Genesis 1, 28, where it says, And God blessed them, speaking of a man and woman, And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then it goes on. But basically, it's the the mandate to humans to take this earth that God's given us and to work it, subdue it. There's some terminology there of, of a husband, of you're, you're kind of caring for, cultivating, building. There's a book, Plowing in Hope, that we've been going through at church, and it just talks about God's intention of the concretization, if I said that right, <laughs> of God's earth. You know, uh, anyone building a building or writing a song and all that was part of God's intended purpose with, with his creation. So cultural mandate, it's a command. It has not gone away to be fruitful, multiply, so have babies, baptize them, and... Uh, <laughs> Jab, got it. If you don't, it's all right, you'll learn. <laughs> and then, But then also to have dominion over the earth. We don't serve the earth, we make the earth serve us in a way that glorifies God. One of the ways I often talk about this is that God created the world, the physical world, and he said it was very good, but not very best. And so the idea of the cultural mandate is essentially like, I've created this for you, now go and fill it up. 
And now go and mm -hmm. take the resource, the raw material that I've given to you and make art and make buildings and build families and make music and all that kind of stuff. And so I think it was Van Til who said that culture is the outward expression of an inward religion. And so if we, yeah, if we, if we believe God and we fear God and we serve God, then the culture that we create around ourselves and in the world around us will glorify God. So the other thing that you mentioned that I want to make sure we come back on is you're talking about how eschatology matters and amen, that's true for everything. And so when we think about this and we think about, you know, the literature that we create and the art that we create will last forever because this is our final destination and we win this world. And I think people would have a different view of their work if they recognize the eternal value that it has, as opposed to a dispensational worldview that would say, this world is burning up and this world is not my home. Mm -hmm. Yeah, one of the things that was influential in my development and my eschatology and coming to post-millennial thought is that the curse will be lifted from the earth. We're not getting a full-scale new new thing. This one is going to hell in a handbasket, and it's just getting chucked out because we just all screwed it up. So why do anything good with it? Why care about it? Why care about culture? Why go and try and influence culture? And plus, the the clock's ticking like any moment, like because Israel became <laughs> a nation, ready. and yeah, that's right. The Apaches um, are warming up. <laughs> deep in the night, deep in the night, you know. <laughs> And so when that changed, I was like, you know what? Because when they say like, you know, earth is not my home, like you do know this is where we're staying, right? Right. Like it's what I talk to people about and heaven and earth will be made new, but like our bodies are made new. We don't get a whole different one. That's right. It's, they recognize Jesus. You know, our resurrection is like his. So they, they still knew it was him different, but you know, going through walls and such. But anyway, that helped in my view of culture and propelled me to care more about it was Hey, not, not only do we have a, a fight, we're going to win yep. eventually and slowly, but eventually, inevitably, yep. but the earth itself and the culture we make. And like you said, literature, books, movies, whatever it is matters and it will have a lasting effect. What a different view of Christian work, an eternal view of Christian work will help us do is kind of cut through another lie that I think the church has bought into. And that is that there's some sort of a difference between secular work and sacred work. Yeah. Right? So, so oftentimes in the church, we think of, you know, ministry and missionary work and parachurch ministries and chaplaincy and, and all those kinds of things. That's that's the sacred work and the secular work is just, you know, all the menial, unimportant jobs that other people go to to fund the real ministry. But what you're saying kind of cuts through all that. Yeah, this was one thing that the Reformation really recovered was this this teaching that every calling or every job is a calling. Every job is a calling to bring glory to God on earth and just because, you know, the priest is sharing God's word or the, you know, the pastor, they, they try to go away from that term priest, but it's not an elevated office in a way that's better than or anything like that, because all vocations, all works can, can be done in a way that degrades the Imago Dei or takes glory away from God. And there, I mean, the Proverbs is full of things about work and how we can apply that as a business owner or an employee. And, and Paul talks to employees and employers in his letters and how, how they are to act and treat each other. So obviously ethics, obviously God's commands bear weight on what we do in our vocation. And again, I, I just constantly think about the quorum day mindset that we live our entire lives before the face of God. 
And, oh man, it'd be scary to think, to really think I can go to my job and just be a completely different person. And then God say, that's okay. I just, there's no dichotomy like that in scripture. Right. Jesus is very clear. We already talked about the great commission, right? All Mm -hmm. authority, heaven and earth has been given to me. So if everything is his, everything is his, that means your job, you know, the place where you work, it's all his. And so we work for our employer as if we are working for God, because at the end of the day, we are working for God. So you'd mentioned the Reformation, but just to kind of throw more dirt in the eyes of that secular sacred divide theory. I mean, there was a reason that Martin Luther was going and kidnapping nuns from, I I shouldn't use the term kidnapping. (laughs) Kidnapping. He was not kidnapping. Liberating. Liberating. Liberating the nuns and the monks from the monasteries, right? Because they recognize that that's not where God's got, you know, holy people don't go and hide themselves away from the world. They go and win the world. That's right. I think we've lost the idea, like, Sometimes we think of the fact that pastors are really supposed to be equipping the regular people to do the building of the kingdom. Mm, And elders' role is to equip us to do the work. Right. They're not the ones doing the work. They're the equippers. They're the teachers of how to do this. Mm. And I think we I think we lose that. We've got that backwards, I think. We're hiring people to do all the quote unquote sacred work, right? We're we're just hiring it out and relying on the pastor, relying on the elders, relying on the church staff to do the ministry. Yeah. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Yeah, we get that all the time with the go to work, make good relationships, invite them out to church so the pastor can evangelize them. (laughs) And it's like, well, that's not the mandate in scripture. Yeah. The way the church gets it wrong, too, is either becoming like the culture. You know, they try and, you know, oh, we're going to go win the culture and stuff. And then they just become like them. Yeah. Whether that's seeker sensitive movement or just like emergent church movement or whatever it is that comes out, you know, give it a decade. It has another name. But, you know, (laughs) the other way is, amen. The other way is complete retreat, kind of like the monk thing, which again comes and goes too. But, you know, that's such a pharisaical thing too. You know, I can't get too close. I'm going to catch their sin. You know, I got to be pure. And that's not the heart of God either, you know? Yeah. So let's just kind of talk practically for the time we have left here. And that is, let's give some practical advice for people who might be stuck in what they feel is kind of an unimportant job. How can they redeem their work? How can they look at their work as this high calling, being made in the image of God and working for the glory of God? What are some practical ways that people who might feel like they're in a job that they're incapable of doing that? What are some ways that you would suggest to help? Praying for those at your work. That's the first thing I would do too. pray for those at your work that God would open a door for you to share the gospel. Um, and I know because I've had many different jobs where if I'm working in a factory. You don't really get time to just talk to people or something. But I was praying for them. Wow. We have to just be silent doing our thing. But you got to be intentional. And this is letting the Great Commission bear weight on you and realize you got to fulfill it. There's no asterisk, you know, except if your job is like, you know, X, Y, Z. So find ways to on break or whatever it is to ask people, hey, do you go to church on Sunday or where do you go? Or were you growing up in the faith or something like that just to get, you know, the ball rolling? People love talking about themselves. So just ask them about them. The other thing is doing your job well, doing your job really well so that your bosses, whoever else is watching, if they call you a show off or they jar you for that or something, who cares, right? You're not working for them anyway. You're working for the Lord, but do it well. Be a good witness in that way to stand out. And I've been in some jobs where 
shining as a light, like uh, Jesus told us, let your light shine so that others may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven, not you, your father in heaven. It was really easy. Right now I'm in the U.S. Army, which again, anything I say here does not reflect, (laughs) (laughs) may or may not reflect the views of the U.S. Army. But sometimes it's super hard in the Army because we're held to a pretty high standard just in the workplace. So a lot of things are not tolerated, as you you know, I said, and and I got to be careful with how I talk about my faith because uh, proselytizing is technically not allowed. So I got to find ways to have those conversations that don't come off too hard. Again, being wise as a serpent, but just depending on your job, you find ways to let the Great Commission bear weight on you. Pray for the people at your work. Ask God to give you uh, an open door for the gospel, and He will. It may not be who you thought it was going to be with. But I will pray that, and sure enough, something will happen, and someone will ask me a question. Hey, what book are you reading? And they're like, oh, you're like a real Christian. I'm like, yeah, let me tell you about it. (laughs) One of those. Yeah, one of those real ones. (laughs) Anyway, so... That's what I would. Yeah. So, so yeah. So, I mean, I guess one of the main points I'm hearing you say is, you know, fulfill the great commission at work and some workplaces will lend itself more easily to that. Sometimes you got to get creative with Mm -hmm. it and, you know, play the long game. Right. And build those relationships, bring them into your home if you can't proselytize at work and all that kind of stuff. And pray for your employees, your coworkers, your employers. Mm-hmm. And the truth is, you know, I talked to tons of people who, you know, coworkers, you either love them or you hate them. And usually it's a combination of the two. But, you know, there's a reason Jesus told us to pray for our enemies and, and pray for those who abuse you. It's because in prayer, your heart changes towards those people. So if you don't have a heart for your workplace and the people at your workplace, pray for them because God will give you a heart for them. And then I loved Um, what else you said, just kind of doing things in excellence. So being mm -hmm. that good employee who shows up on time, who doesn't leave early, who doesn't steal time from his employers, who glorifies God by the quality of work that they're putting in. And if I could just add to that as well, because we've talked about kind of the long game that post-millennials or that Christians have in terms of this is, you know, even those little things like helping figure out, I don't know if you work in a, an office or a factory, but helping your place of work become more environmentally friendly, right? And I think sometimes as conservative Christians, we fall into the political right sometimes as well. And we're guilty of not thinking about stewardship of the earth and those sorts of things. But just all those kinds of things help change the culture in your work, whether it's making your workplace more environmentally friendly, making your workplace develop policies of how you treat employees and how you treat coworkers and things like that, doing that with God's law in mind, helping to create policies that glorify God. I think that there's lots of different ways that we can do that in our workplaces, regardless of what our job is. Yeah, I think just sometimes also just being the person who isn't annoyed that it's Monday morning, who's happy mm-hmm. to be there, who's comes to work with a mm-hmm. smile, even sometimes, even if you don't necessarily feel it, but you're portraying that idea of like, you're understanding that you're working to glorify God, that your role where, whatever you're doing it, being a factory worker or somebody who's sitting at a desk making big decisions, your role is to glorify God. That means you can control your attitude and be positive and be that guy that isn't getting sucked into the water cooler, bad mouthing their other <laughs> colleagues. Yeah, being that positive influence right. can help bring up the morale of the office, which 
in my experience, I've noticed that people want to talk about God and they want to talk about spiritual things. They just don't know who to look out for. Mm -hmm. But if you start doing these things, being a good steward, being positive, people will notice those things and generally ask you why it is that you're this way. And that gives you a perfect door into explaining here's why. And then you can talk about it. A huge lie that the church has believed is this whole notion of preach the gospel, use words if necessary. That's, you I, know what? That's exactly what I was about to bring up too when I uh, almost <laughs> interrupted you. Yeah, absolutely. Preach it, man. I want to talk about it a little bit more too, but Ligon Duncan used that quote to say, saying preach the gospel daily, use words if necessary, is like saying feed the hungry, use food if necessary. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and again, it's the, the gospel is a message. It's a verbal proclamation of the truth. And again, be wise as serpent. So you find ways at work at the water cooler even to speak truth into that situation. We cannot be bogged down by our reputation or whatever it is because we live before the face of God. But this whole idea that you can just like act good or, uh, you know, act rightly and that's enough that will stand out that will preach the gospel is just not what the whole bible is about it started off with god said god spoke into existence everything and preaching has been carried out to to the end and and as christians we are called to preach and to speak truth and that is the means by which the holy spirit uses to make hearts new and so we can't avoid it you got to be smart with it find out what's that quick little statement you can say at the water cooler, in the elevator, in the hallway, or whatever it is, or uh, or whatever, but also to give a defense of how you act the way you act, kind of like what Chris was saying, and why you're different, or why you don't want to sit around and listen to dirty jokes, or why you don't want to sit around and listen to, you know, whatever. Be ready to give a defense and don't get scared and back away from that. That's where we can be winning. Amen. Well, I think that's pretty good, but I have a bonus question for you as well, Grant, that I didn't... Uh, <laughs> oh, no. Yep. I, this is what I do. Come so, on, Vanilla Knox. What do you got? <laughs> I love it. I love it. How much do uh, you pay him to call you that? <laughs> Pootie Tang. I mean, I love Pootie well, Tang. Well, I paid him in Canadian money, so it's basically <laughs> worthless anyway. So, um. yeah, you're going to pay me double for whatever I think it is, I guess. <laughs> that's great. All right, what's your bonus question? Bonus question. So, borrowing some terms from the culture, I know a lot of people who are Christians on Sunday who are faithful Christians in the morning before work and after work, but don't talk about it at work, basically are in the closet for their nine to five job. What are some tips for them? How would they come about coming out of the closet, so to speak, at their work as a Christian, as a born again, <laughs> who believes in the Lord at a workplace that they may have worked at for years, but none of their coworkers know they go to church on Sunday and well, at this a, point, it seems hypocritical if they're like, hey, by the way, I'm a Christian. That's not just a curveball. You just threw him a slider. All right, Grant, go. <laughs> well, when you first started describing this person, and I've always found this verse uh, heavy, I believe it's Isaiah. Jesus quoted it, how this generation praises me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Man, I'm just like, man, so, uh, you know, and that's exactly what I see with the person who's trying to appease God on Sunday, make God real happy with them on the weekend and then, you know, go do whatever they want and then just try to come to worship. And God said often, you know, your sacrifices, your fast, they're annoying me now, yeah. you know, and, and I'm sick of them They smell because bad. you, you don't love me. Yeah. It's disgusting. Stop doing it. And, you know, David said, uh, that's not what the Lord wants. He wants a broken and contrite heart. And I would just say, I mean, you gotta be bold, but I don't want to just give an imperative. I mean, realize that 
this world is dying. They're all dead in their sin. And you have the best news that has ever come out in the world. You have the news that can free them from the slavery to their sin and to give them new life in Christ. How can you not share that? I know it can be scary, but how can you not at least be a little bit excited to find a way to share that news with someone? I promise we didn't set you up for this. As you're saying that, all I can think of is get woke. <laughs> that's, that's the, For those of you who aren't following, that's uh, the Awakening Reformation podcast uh, hashtag there. But uh, get woke, like wake up to this idea that you are a, a minister of the greatest news in the entire world. And yeah. you just need to wake up to the idea that God has placed you in the lives of your coworkers for a reason. If you are hiding your light yeah, under exactly. a bush, right, then you're not only doing them a disservice, but I think it was C.S. Lewis who said, you've never met a mere mortal. So they're all going to spend eternity mm -hmm. somewhere. And if you start looking at the people around you at your workplace with those glasses, then if you truly belong to God and the spirit truly resides in you, something will wake up. Exactly. So get woke. Hashtag get woke. <laughs> Awesome. All right, man. Grant, thanks so much for coming on with us. You helped us navigate that topic. And I think it's a topic that not a lot of Christians have thought through. So thanks for being so thoughtful. And I, I want to give you the last word here. So why don't you tell our listeners where they can interact with you, what you and your wife, Erica, and everything that's going on with the podcast. Yeah, thanks. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. The Twitter handle is at Awaken Reform Pod. Our email, awakeningreformation at gmail.com. We're on iTunes and most all podcast catchers. So download, subscribe. I hope you enjoy. We're just trying to bring the truth of scripture to all and awaken reformation and awaken knowledge and love for God's word. So please go like the page and download the podcast. Awesome. Thanks for being with us, Grant. Thank you, guys. Hey, it was a pleasure. Thanks, Nate. Thanks, Chris. Well, that was a great interview. We are out of time, so we are going to sign off quickly and say thank you, Grant, for coming on. Thanks for helping us navigate that. We're going to have to uh, circle back to that topic and uh, dissect some of that stuff further. Uh, thanks for listening. Share this episode. Like this episode. Share it with your friends, and uh, we'll see you next week. Cheers. Cheers.